I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Girl, I don't some bad hat hair. It's a cool story. Get any of that? Not a doctor. Bye, have a beautiful from your life. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. And I am Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing Mrs. America season one. Not that there's going to be a season two as far as I'm aware. Who knows where feminism will take us next. <laughs> How are you doing, Damask? I'm good. Feeling empowered, feeling strong and inspired, Brad. How are you? Mrs. America has had the desired effect. <laughs> I'm great. Thank you. I'm very, very good. That's good. Question before we get into the show. Mm. Have you watched Hamilton yet on Disney Plus? Because that's what everyone's talking about on Twitter. I watched it twice. Twice? Yes. Now, famously, I have talked some serious shit on the Hamilton soundtrack. <laughs> on the soundtrack specifically? Yes. I know you've talked shit on Lin-Manuel Miranda. Well, I stand by that. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So, I watched it with a, a couple of friends. Our friend has a projector. So, to try and get that theatre experience, we had it on the big old projector. To get the, the experience of being in a seat that moves around constantly, <laughs> different positions, just like you do when you go to the theatre. Exactly. Great. Thank you. Um, many wines were had and I watched it. It started and I was like, oh, yes, it's going to be exactly what I thought it was going to be. I hate it. Ooh. And then it kept going um, and a lot of the ladies started singing. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, first act is fine. It's okay. And then the second act kind of happens, kind of hits this emotional crunch and it absolutely destroyed me. Um, the woman who plays Eliza uh, Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton's wife, is incredible. All the female talent, everyone on stage but one is extremely talented. Um, I think it's got a case of if you create something and you've got, you know, all your fingers in all the pots, sometimes you don't have that person to say, oh, maybe you shouldn't have the lead role. And I think that's probably what should have happened. Sure. Because everyone Sage is so talented that simply by comparison, Lin-Manuel Miranda isn't quite up to scratch just as a performer. Right. Um, but otherwise, I, I liked it. Is it, you know, complicated making a story about those characters? Sure. Do I know enough about American history to make an informed comment on that? Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about it anyway. Yeah. But that's what Roxanne Gay said, so I believe her. Sure. Um, but also, you know, white people have told the stories of the founding fathers for However long, sure. I'm not going to begrudge people of color for doing the same thing. Um, but no, I, I, it was a good time. I've watched it twice. That says something. So I wanted something. to double check that my emotions were accurate and weren't entirely affected by alcohol. Sure. Um, but you know, it was, it was good. Hmm. Cool. I'll get to it. Yeah, you will. I get to it. I've, I mean, this weird situation of being trying to hold off seeing it because it's coming to Sydney 
theoretically. Who knows these days? But it's coming to Sydney. It's going to be a performance there. And I was mm. like, I was planning to fly to Sydney to go and see it. It's a big event. Um, and see it live. I've avoided listening to the soundtrack. I've literally walked out of rooms that other people have, it on, have had it on. I like the idea of seeing it, you know, unsullied for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's on Disney+. Plus. I'm pretty tempted to just watch that and maybe not go see it live until it comes to Melbourne eventually, mm. which I'm sure it will. Maybe wait until, like... I don't know if they've done cast announcements or not for the Australian performance. I don't think so, but I don't know. But maybe see who's going to be cast. On the other hand, I kind of just... You know when something's so popular and everyone's talking about so much Mm -hmm. that you're just like... Mm -hmm. I just... You're exhausting me just talking about how (laughs) how enthusiastic you are about it. Mm. The the thing... The the thing that was irritating when it it launched on Disney Plus is the amount of posts of people talking about how effective it was, but really just trying to brag about the fact they saw this cast live when they were in New York at one stage. Oh, gross. And just the the bragging that mm. was going on. It's like, that's... Well done for having $800. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, well done to you. <laughs> All right, let's get to our spoiler-free review of Mrs. America Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Mrs. America is an FX original drama television series created by Darby Waller, writer for shows such as Desperate Housewives, Mad Men, and Halt and Catch Fire, about the 1970s feminist political movement to pass the ERA, a proposed amendment to the United States Constitution designed to guarantee equal legal rights for all American citizens, regardless of sex. Centered around the conservative backlash led by Phyllis Schlafly, the show explores the shifting political landscapes of the era, brought to life by a stellar cast, including Kate Blanchett in her first US TV role, I believe, mm. Rose Byrne, Uzo Abuda, Elizabeth Banks, Kaylee Carter, Ari Grainer, Melanie Linsky, John Slattery, Tracy Ullman, Sarah Paulson, and character actress Margot Martindale. <laughs> the series premiered on FX on Hulu on April 15, 2020, consisting of nine episodes, each coming in at around 47 minutes and took us approximately seven hours to Watch. So, Damask, yes. how familiar are you with this part of American history, I guess, about this feminist movement in the 1970s, about the ERA, about Phyllis Schlafly? I had never heard of the ERA. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard of Phyllis Schlafly. I'm I, saying that right, I'm Schlafly. I've, I've heard it literally dozens of times. <laughs> I'm still not sure I'm saying it right. I mean, the character of um, Betty Friedan can never say it correctly True. in the show, so I think that's fine. Um, I also have no problem disrespecting her in that way, so whatever. Um, yeah, no, I there's a few figures that I knew of. I knew they were like kind of feminist activists at the time, um, but I did not know any details of what was going on in America at that time, yeah. Sure. I think I, I have heard of Gloria Steinem. I am aware of the ERA because it is something that is still... Mm. being ratified in states as uh, I think the last couple of years it's been sort of talked about and come up again. Yeah. Um that's about it. That's cool. about all I had. With that in mind, can you please give us your spoiler-free review of Mrs. America season 1? <laughs> the one and only. I assume absolutely. so. I don't know. I, I that's a question I want to ask later is is there potential to do more Mrs. America of some other Discussion on feminism or women in America. I think. I mean, there they is. could do like first wave. I guess they, they could. Yeah, to. absolutely. Stuff like that. Um, yes, I will give you my <laughs> spoiler-free review. 
The first time I heard Gloria Steinem speak was in The L Word. It's also where I first heard of the feminine mystique. So naturally, when this happened, I travelled to Melbourne. I was a very young gay. I went to a secondhand bookstore that used to be on Flinders Street. It's not anymore. R.I.P. It had a great queer and feminist section and I bought myself a copy of the book. That was my, through the L word, was my exposure to both Gloria Steinem and the feminist mystique. So Betty Friedan. So I grew up thinking feminist was a bad word and wasn't exposed to it at all. Until I realized I was gay and began diving into queer pop culture writing, which then exposed me to feminist theory. So while I'm familiar with the theory, I haven't spent the time understanding the critical moments in the movement's rise and fall. Cue Mrs. America and its incredible cast. This show has a jumble of characters, all fighting with different purposes and endgames, but all uniformly battling to balance idealism and the reality they face each day. The series uses one woman per episode to delve into a specific facet of the path towards equality. A welcome and easily digestible approach, I think, to such a politically complicated time scattered with titans of the gender equality battle. As women, their seemingly uncharacteristic ambition is what makes them appear great, fascinating and worthy of the story being told. As one character says to another, power concedes nothing. Mrs. America demonstrates that those that have power will tease you and make you believe that they will share, but they won't because they don't have to. So you've got to pry it from their hands yourself. And that's the beautiful thing about this show and often frustrating thing as well. When do you ask and when do you take? Is being considered reasonable a conduit for change more than the title of being a radical? Both the women on the right and left of this debate attempt each approach. Mrs. America is a fascinating, fun and sometimes infuriating history lesson that is full of incredible performances. Two of which, Margot Martindale and Tracy Ullman, are standouts for me. Give them all the awards, please. I really enjoyed this show. It taught me a lot and I recommend everyone watch it. Very nice. This show is good in every sense of the word. The first good is its themes and setting. While I consider myself a feminist and an ally to women, it isn't surprising that as a white Australian man, I wasn't hugely familiar with the ins and outs of the American feminist movement of the 1970s. Sure, I'd heard of Gloria Steinem and the ERA, but let's not pretend I was any sort of authority on the subject. At the end of this season... I'm still not, but I certainly have a better idea and appreciation of this important period in the fight of gender equality. Like a lot of great historical dramas we've reviewed, Mrs. America is an insightful, fun and engaging illustration of the culture, politics and key players of the time, and it shines the brightest when it remembers to cast a critical and analytical eye even on the people it obviously admires and to highlight the similarities between opposing parties as much as it does the differences. Yes, the mostly libbers of the National Women's Political Caucus are our heroes and the stop ERA are the bad guys, but the most stimulating aspect are always when exploring the grey, the internal and external tension between the idyllic and the pragmatic, the struggle to make swift, strong moves in a system designed to give a diverse a group of individuals equal say, when to compromise and when to hold your ground, the reality of being a woman who doesn't have legal control of their body and the hard choices that are made to retain autonomy. And while it's great at examining the big ideas, it still doesn't forget to focus on character and the personal lives of these iconic women. Central to this is Kate Blanchett's performance as Phyllis Schlafly. Mrs. America takes the time to examine Phyllis from head to toe in an effort to understand her, while also using her effectively as the antagonist. 
building the show on her shoulders and using her to establish stakes. It would be all too easy to make Phyllis a caricature, but Blanchett uh, plays every painted-on-smile and calculated word with empathy and understanding, always leaving room to see the internal battle taking place. I'm not sure how well the rest of the cast does in translating their real-life personas to the screen, but even if some parts lean a bit into impersonation, the overall effect is more than satisfying, with Margot Martindale and Sarah Paulson impressing me especially. The performances are helped along by a not exceptional but certainly tight and effective script along with an infectious soundtrack of recognisable needle drops and a clever episode structure. We've seen lots of shows try the character of the week style before with mixed success and why it works so well in Mrs. America is that it isn't married to it. Yes, an episode entitled Betty has a lot of Betty but that doesn't mean the women around her are ignored either. Often the relationships of the people around an episode's highlighted character are just as important as the central personality. If the show has a flaw, it's that it isn't always as subtle as it could be. In the very first episode, and then especially again in the last, the show paints in broad strokes, choosing to take a shortcut to make an on-the-nose point rather than trust in the audience. This isn't a revolutionary show, it's not going to change the face of television going forward, it's not a heart-racing show with practically zero action or violence to speak of, etc. But it's good at what it does, and what it does is good. What was your final score? Beautiful review, Brad. Thank you. What was your final score out of five be Damask? I'm giving it a four, a very high four. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat. It's mm. like, it's so, so competent in everything that it does. Mm. I think if there's a reason to give off that last star, it's just probably because it's not trying to be, you know, super dramatic or emotional or affect me in that way. Mm. It's trying to make me think as much as anything else. Yeah. Um, and it's really, really good at that. And it's really enjoyable to watch. I ate up every episode. I mm-hmm. enjoyed every episode. I looked forward to the next one. It was For something like this, it could be super dry and maybe a bit of a bore, even if you were interested in the themes. It's not that. But I think I can't give it more than a four, ultimately. High four, though. Yeah. Agreed. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to ask everyone who enjoys the podcast to please review us on Apple Podcasts. Nothing helps the show to grow more than by throwing five stars and maybe a couple of nice words our way. And to sweeten the deal, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. Now that's some feminist literature for you. (laughs) We would also love you to share hunting seasons with friends and family, your mum, your dad, whoever, who you think might also enjoy listening next week we'll be back with our review of black sales season one we're finally doing it Mm -hmm. if you would like to contribute to our discussion of black sales 
GJ. Or if you have thoughts on Mrs. America, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include on a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at huntingscast. But right now, let's talk spoilers for Mrs. America Season 1. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning. From here on, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of Mrs. America. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Mrs. America up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have have been warned. warned. I remembered. I'm so proud. Thank you. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. In honour of... Mrs. America, let, you can lead the way. Are you going to give me permission I'm, to speak? <laughs> what's the line that she says? Thank you for letting me come here tonight. Yeah. <laughs> she says, fucking in the last episode, yeah. Mm. Um, well, I'm going to actually turn it back on you because Shit. in your spoiler-free review, you said at the in the first episode and the last episode, yes. it made some on-the-nose no- on points. Can you... Talk to me about those. So, the specific exams I was thinking of, I didn't bring them up there because they were slightly spoilery. The first Mm. one is at the end of the first episode, um, they, the, not the ERA, the- um, Stop? The, stop. No, no, not stop. Sorry. Uh, The caucus, the women's caucus. Oh, yeah. We're all sort of getting together and they get the newsletter, I think, one of Schlafly's newsletters, Mm -hmm. and they like, they laugh about the name and then say, oh- I'll never have to remember that name because we'll never hear from her again. I was like, okay, guys. <laughs> that was that was a little heavy-handed, but nah. sure. The, the best example of it, actually, of all, I think, was there was that Republican function um, that Phyllis goes to and mm. she's doing that speech, right? And she, oh, they had the two little feminists are we mm. thing going on, right? I think it was to celebrate the end of the original deadline of the ERA. I think that's right. Yeah, And then... When that was going on, I think even during Phyllis's speech, mm. the camera work that was being done on the faces of the audience, these low, really close-up oh, angles, yeah, like super grotesque mm-hmm. villainous. <laughs> it remind like it reminded me of like, do you remember that bit in the Return of the King where Denethor is like mm-hmm. eating the food and oh, make disgusting. it as gross as possible yeah. to just highlight like how much of a villain he is? Sort yeah, of thing. it was like when in the witches when all the witches come together. Yeah, yeah. stuff that sort of thing, right? It was that sort of stuff it was starting to do. And it, 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 I don't know, it was just towards the end of the show, it felt like it was, um, yeah, it just, it was going to take shortcuts or it was, mm. the, the thing I always appreciate about the show is like, it was a little more subtle than that. It wasn't, there was no question about who they thought the bad guys were and who the, who the heroes of the story were or mm. whatever, but it didn't have to paint in such broad strokes, I didn't think. Literally the biggest criticism I have for the entire show. Yeah. And Barely a criticism. It's yeah. just something to talk about. No, I, I do agree with you. I think it really hit home the, the tragedy of what we had just seen was really that, you know, who I perceive to be the bad guys, and I think the show does as it well, does. obviously, yeah. um, one, which is sad. Uh, it's interesting because the, the show almost doesn't have an ending, right? Because the ERA is still being ratified today, and like one of the things I talk about is... Is that as well? It's uh, did you did you find it unsatisfying in any way? I mean, did you have at least satisfaction in where Phyllis ends up, like that last shot? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think so. It h- hurts in one way, but it's also like 
gratifying in another way is that, yes, those like fighting the ERA in their time mm-hmm. won because Phyllis Schlafly only died in 2016. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she did win, but also on the other side of it. Felt like they were waiting for that too. It's like this show. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was like, oh, let's, <laughs> let's do the Phyllis Schlafly story now. She can't uh, say anything back for us. Yeah. But then also in winning, Phyllis has created the world that she apparently wanted every other woman to live in, in which she has diminished power. So that was, you know, that was a little kind of yay moment, even though it's it's terrible, but also, you know, some nice comeuppance towards the end there. I, I really, really enjoyed the the final little bit. Um, the, the finding out that, yeah, she had... Because it was so well utilised, I guess, the idea of how vol- valuable her subscription base or her mailing list was. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she's making this play for power, for influence, and gets completely fucked over, which we have seen happen to all our heroes at some stage pretty yeah. much throughout this. Yeah. Just men fuck over. Never get in the room. Never get in the room. Yeah. And then to have the exact same thing happen to her. And then <laughs> that line as well, dinner's at six, it's always at six, which is a callback <laughs> from I think episode one or two. Mm. And just... The, it happens a couple of times, yeah. Yeah. The, like, the this time round though... Just the idea that you're stuck in this loop. From, yeah. You are never going to escape yeah. where well, you've been placed. Or she the place thought that she had found this amazing loophole. It was like she couldn't really get in the room talking about the thing that she was very knowledgeable about um, and passionate about, which was, was it nuclear stuff? Yeah, it was like um, nuclear armament and like yeah. geopolitical so warfare she, stuff. So she couldn't get in the room in that way. She's like, oh, women's issues. That's one thing that'll let me speak on, speak about, be an authority on. So she rallies for that for fucking years and years as a way to get in the room. But like they do for like, yeah, women's issues or, you know, issues regarding like black people or people of colour, if that's your platform, if that's like you're an authority on that, they might like bring you in in order to get the votes that you attract. Yes. Women, people of colour. But you'll never be one of them. Like you're never really in the room. Because they won't relinquish the power. The, the the ultimate irony, though, of the reason Reagan didn't bring her in is because he has a woman problem mm-hmm. and he is going to be pro-ERA. Yeah. It's just like that tiny little quote-unquote victory for uh, the the women's caucus in that moment that, that they unwittingly have kept mm. her from that role in well, that way, but just by creating enough noise and getting enough yeah. influence, I guess, to need the president to have to yeah. pay attention to them or well, something. Yeah, I mean, she built up this great thing of power, which was like her mailing list, her mm. networking list, and she handed it over thinking it was a bartering chip, but obviously yeah. once they had it, they're like, well, we don't, we don't need you anymore, so you're gone. Amazing. Yeah. And just, I do, the final shot of her was like peeling apples at the end. Just that, just to linger on that shot, the way it's framed, the just emptiness in that moment. It's delicious. It was delicious. Delicious. Especially someone who, I'll tell you what, something that I didn't realise, and they really, again, another thing they hit you on the head with, but I appreciate it for what it was, mm. the similarities to some of Trump's stuff, the Make America Great Again yeah. stuff with Reagan, and then apparently uh, the idea that she wrote the book, um, the conservative, conservative case, case for Trump, yeah. Fucking hell, if I didn't yeah. dislike her enough already. Yeah, uh, I just the whole kind of not being overtly racist yourself, but understanding the power of like 
having those people behind you and so making space for them to join your cause just simply for the power and the rallying power they have. Yeah. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. So uh, let's talk about Phyllis for a second. I want to talk about your journey with the character. She really is the 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 tent pole of this entire thing. We start with her, we end with her. She's in every episode. Mm-hmm. She is the 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 antagonist ever since the word. Any, anything that's going wrong for the women's caucus seems to be coming from Phyllis. Did you do you have any positive feelings towards the character whatsoever? Did did you at any stage have any empathy for her, respect for her, admiration for her? Like, is there anything there at all in what the show presents you? Or is it, I mean, obviously... There are certain moments of sympathy when you see um, how she is diminished by the time that she exists in. So, mm-hmm. certain moment when her husband you know, forces himself pretty much on her because she thinks that's her job and you know, you don't say no if that's what he wants and he wins, that type of thing. Um, you see her desire to, you know, want to be a lawyer, to want to be an educated person. Um, she is educated, but she wants to kind of go to that next kind of echelon. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's certain sympathies there. I think where it ends is those who – and, I yeah, it's something particular that you see – in women through history, though I'm sure it's um, it's a thing for many marginalised people, is certain people within those marginalised communities that see their only way of gaining power is to step on those that are at their level or lower. Sure. Um, and that's where the sympathy stops because she wants to be the only woman in the room. Yeah. She thinks like she is smarter and more capable than women. I think she does believe that women should be in the home, you know, should have those traditional roles except for her, which is like such like she's a narcissist. She's severely like self-involved, like only about the self-interest of it all. Mm -hmm. Um, So she is unlikable, but she is incredibly nuanced, which is what I like. Yes. I think the bit that you have to give her credit for, I guess, is that she does the work in a sense. Like, mm. she, well, yes go on. and no. She does the work in terms of, you know, she does the LSATs and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. She does all like the networking, that yep. stuff. Yep. Where she doesn't do the work is when she absolutely just talks fucking shit. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, like that, I guess, in terms of. Someone can talk shit, but if you don't know how to use your influence, I guess, mm. and she knew how to use her influence yeah. or to, to get influence, gain influence. Um, like the reason that Stop ERA worked is because they were, they. I think she was able to rally and we can talk about like the fact that she did make these women into working girls and I love that that mm. part where um, Alice gets told that by yeah, Margaret Bella. Des- by Bella, yeah. 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 Um, but like... There's no doubt that work was done and was done effectively. Mm-hmm. There was something about that at times where there was unity within that group, even though it was because they were being lied to and, you know, they were not getting, getting an accurate picture of the way things were mm. that made that work more effectively sometimes than the Women's Caucus was. Oh, she's a brilliant manipulator. Brilliant like manipulator. But ultimately, <laughs> a manipulator and a liar. The, with a great work ethic. <laughs> the, with a great work ethic. Seriously, though, yeah. I, I don't think, like, it's funny how 
I think there's like, that's why I liked about the show is that it did make you notice that. It wasn't like it was an accident. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It wasn't like she lucked into this situation. Yeah. She it was like a dogged kind of. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And there is something, if you remove it from context and look at that specifically, there's something admirable about that person's drive mm. to work that hard to, to do those things. Ultimately, though, obviously working for the wrong cause and an awful person. <laughs> and the amount of satisfaction I had when in, I think it's like episode five, when they do the the couples debate and oh, she gets called out. State the for, case. State the case. State cite the, ca- the case. Cite the case. And oh. just realizing and embarrassing herself on stage in that, that moment. That was really satisfying. Was delicious. I especially really enjoyed it, actually. It was like a really, it was a midpoint for the entire show. Because mm. um, like right in the center of it. And they'd set up like the struggles between the other couple mm. in that moment. And like really Ari made it look Grainer like. is so good in that scene. Yes. She's terrifying with her anger. Yeah. Totally. But they made it feel like there was this inevitable failure about to happen, right? They were going to be shown up because mm-hmm. there was a lack of liking or whatever. And then to just have that be the exact opposite thing really felt satisfying. Agreed. And like one of the more, for a show that's, you know, about, I mean, the subject isn't dry, but like the, 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 the function of politics can be dry at times. Mm. That was an exhilarating moment it to was. watch. It was like a fist pumping moment. Mm. I really, really enjoyed her. I and mean, what enjoyed her getting her comeuppance. Yeah, and it's, I think it's nice for us because we are so ignorant to mm. what had occurred. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, to have like in that episode specifically, that couple is struggling so much. I also just really loved um, the character that Adam Brody played. Like, what a beautiful I did, man. I don't. I haven't watched Adam Brody much at all because I've watched the OC and stuff mm. like that. I was like, is that? I, yeah, I, I didn't know. I saw someone like wrote that he was unrecognizable. I, I did not recognize him. <laughs> was shocking to me. The maybe, very end, I was like, that might be Adam Brody. Maybe just because I've seen him in, I guess, quite a bit of stuff. I'm sure. not sure, but um, but yeah, just like he was quite a, a lovely, very understanding man. Mm-hmm. Um, if not somewhat naive and ignorant <laughs> <laughs> to what was happening, um, but. Yeah, to, like, have him not crumble under that huge amount of pressure, emotional pressure as well, um, was like, oh, thank God. Because you do feel like they're building towards that kind of blow up of our marriage actually doesn't work. It's actually got all these problems. But in front of – and while we know that, in front of, like, the nation or the people watching for them to hold strong was just such a relief. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I think at that point, the show had felt like I understood its rhythms and, mm-hmm. and it was predictable to a certain degree. Um, so, there was a really nice like twist on my expectations at that moment. Going back to Phyllis for a second, um, what did you think of Kate Blanche's performance? Um, you didn't mention her really in your review. I thought she was... Oh, no, she's great. Great. I think her kind of baseline is masterful. <laughs> so, like, I didn't feel like I needed to. Sure. Um but she's always amazing and she is in this as well. I, Because I, I really do, as I said in my review, I do think it would be very easy to make a caricature out of Phyllis, right? Mm-hmm. There are certain ticks and like her little ums that she puts in and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which overplayed or overstated this Mary Poppins sort of like uh, accent sort of thing she's got going, all that sort of stuff, the mannerisms and things could become cartoonish quite quickly. And what I loved, what I loved and what where film is so and, and like TV and stuff is so good for this and what Kate Blanchett did amazingly was just show under every little moment 
where the insecurity was or where mm-hmm. the thinking was or where the plotting was or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, to make sure we understood there was a person underneath yeah. the machine, I guess, of Phyllis Schlafly. Margot Martindale also specifically did an amazing job of that. Percent who's agree. like such a, a gruff woman. Yes. Um who seems as though impenetrable in many, certainly emotionally. to Throws her weight around in every yes. meeting that we're in, in every scene. To see the emotional complications around the decisions she has to make because of the role that she is in, mm-hmm. um, in that leadership role, was the way that she did that without saying a word was incredible. Yeah. Amazing the, performance. The, the, yeah, absolutely. The ability to like... Hold strong and tough to her. What she would, you know, what she really believed was having to make compromises mm. when others didn't want to, yeah. and being vulnerable and seeing um, yes. kind of. I I loved, you know, her peer really was Betty Friedan, um, because you know they were the old the older girls who'd yeah. like really seen some shit and they'd both watch Gloria kind of rise up and stuff. And Bella was able to kind of see that and see how she could kind of use that work with Gloria to be like these kind of more rational, approachable mm-hmm. feminists that could work within the system. Um, so for Bella to see the way that Betty Friedan is treated within mm. the movement because she is older, she's got, you know, while she was a radical in her day, is now kind of seen as almost a conservative, you know, in her opinions about gay people mm-hmm. and all that stuff. She doesn't want to be Betty though she loves Betty and what everything that she's accomplished, she wants to be, she always wants to be a radical. She wants to be moving forward, but through years of, you know, being in service to the movement has learnt, you know, how to compromise and whether that's something that she is willing to do was like a really big moment for her. And I loved that because I thought she was always just going to be that, that big gruff woman, just like kicking down doors and be like, you will fucking listen to me. But Mm. that's, you know, it's, more complicated than that, yeah. I thought Margot Martindale was exceptional. Um, mm-hmm. You also mentioned Tracy Orman mm. right, was particularly good. Mm. I love her so much. <laughs> I'm One- not that familiar with Tracy Orman. I know more about the fact that The Simpsons starred on her show. Like, that's... Did Wait, you not know that? The what? The Tracy Orman show. That's, that's where what The Simpsons... You- really? The Simpsons, yeah. The original Simpsons, the original Simpsons short started on The Tracy Orman show. I had no idea. Yeah. That's, that's where The Simpsons began. There you go. Yeah. I mean, Tracy Ullman does a great impersonation of Angela Merkel. Merkin? Oh, oh Merkel. yeah. Does Merkel. she really? I've never yeah, heard that's that. Right. Um, yes, yeah, she plays the German Chancellor and it. I watch it all the time. It makes me laugh. Anyway, she's a great comedic actress. Mm-hmm. She was very funny in this. Very. And I think perfectly cast. But once again, like I also enjoyed seeing her vulnerabilities Definitely. of like she, yeah, she made the way for a lot of these women helped usher them in and was left behind. And I think you could understand why people didn't want her in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, But you could also, what they did wonderfully is you could see why she deserved to be in the room. The the call from Gloria Mm. at the end of the episode, just to say thank you. In a lot of ways, Gloria felt kind of like our main hero. She seemed to be the one who was doing the most... I don't know, growing or learning or something along mm. the way. Or she represented a lot of, like, the feminist movement at the time. She was sort of the hot thing, or the 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 most popular or most recognisable feminist at the time mm-hmm. in that movement, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
And so she had the burden of having to represent a lot of that. So when she calls up uh, Betty to say, you know, thank you and mm. your book changed my life and I appreciate you even if you can't be involved in this right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was I thought it was really, really meaningful and important yeah. and one of the most important lessons of the show, I thought. Yeah, and I think, yeah, Gloria kind of falls back or is like in the shadows a little bit just because the figures around her cast such a shadow because they're, mm. they're big characters, right? Like a lot of them are doing literal like character voices and impersonations. and. Well, I think like Rose Byrne is definitely going for something with, with Gloria and I don't know Gloria Stein well enough to know. That's where I sort of- accurate. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is that, you know, a lot of these women that came up before Gloria needed to be kind of this bombastic, like go on a talk show and just like say things that- mm-hmm no woman had really said before. Whereas Gloria Steinem was, she was the cool one, right? And so in order to be cool, you can't make people cringe really. And Mm. so she had the burden of that while still pushing forward. She made people comfortable, but then if people are comfortable, are they moving forward is the question. She kind of had to deal with balancing that. Um, But yeah, so I think Gloria is probably the least interesting character to me. Yeah, I think in terms of an individual character, I agree. Mm. I think her position in the story. I think she's like a modern viewer's way in. Yes. Because she has this really modern way of thinking. Totally, totally. And the function of that was used really, really Mm -hmm. well. So while I didn't come away maybe as blown away by that character or by Rose Byrne's performance overall, I definitely appreciate the, the way she was used. And this is the thing about this show. Just, I think it's like, I don't think it's always. We've seen sharper, like, scripts, right? We've seen mm. sharper or more um, ingenious or, I don't know, complex and interesting narratives and scripts and structures and stuff like that. The show doesn't do that. It just functions so well. It seems mm-hmm. to understand how to use its pieces effectively, consistently, the whole way through. Yeah, the thing is, like, you know, in my spoiler-free review, I was like, it is a history lesson that is yeah. fun and fascinating and all of these things. Like, I felt like I was learning a lot, but the way that they've structured it, the characters that they built within it, the performers gave so much that I was like, I would watch, finish an episode and want to watch the next totally. one. Because I, was, was, I was learning a lot, but it was a lot of fun. It really, I was really fascinated was by what was happening, yeah. Agreed. And on a similar level, I think the character of Alice, played by Sarah Paulson, was equally well used Mm -hmm. in terms of everything that she was doing inside Stop ERA alongside Phyllis was a beautiful lead up to that eighth episode, Mm -hmm. um, which was, was, no, where did they have it? Dallas? What was the name of it? Houston. Thank you. Which Mm -hmm. is the name of the episode, Houston. And just, I don't, it was just a perfect little crescendo on that character, this, Woman who always seemed to understand something wasn't quite right, but was completely indoctrinated into believing that mm. there was this in- incredible well, she'd evil happening. Well, she had no exposure. She, how right? could she? So she'd been, you know, raised within this box for so long and she fit really well in that box. Definitely. It was perfectly fitted for her. And then to have, you know, these scary other women come along and tell her that, like, the box is bullshit, it shouldn't actually exist... It's very scary for her and so naturally is indoctrinated, you know, in this world with someone who is as strong and as charismatic as as Phyllis, mm. someone that she, like, has brought her into her, like, inner circle or inner sanctum and, you know, made her her lieutenant. Like, that's amazing for someone as 
passive as Alice. And then what I thought was such a wonderful catharsis in this show, and I think it's smart to make the character of Alice, who is a fictional character, yeah. is not real, unlike many of the other women. I think all of the other women are... Even all the other people from Stop ERA? Um, Yes. Melanie Linsky is a real... Yep. Who she's playing is a real person. Um, The the other housewife, the woman who is abused by her husband, I don't believe is a real person. Yep. Um, Yeah, so it was an amazing cathartic moment when Alice goes to Houston and is finally exposed to different experiences, different worldviews. Um, I think that episode is full of, I guess, contrivances and like, totally. you know, stuff that happens too easily. It's maybe a little simplified, but I think in that moment in the show and for the subject matter as a whole, I think it's a really kind of lovely, lighthearted, um, but also emotionally resonant episode. I loved it. Well, what you never had really happening in the show was the real convergence of those two worlds. You mm-hmm. would have them a couple of times. You were waiting for it all season, right? Like well, when things are really going to come together. There would be moments. There would be mm-hmm. debates and stuff like that happening. But what you didn't... So rarely did you get to see one character cross over to the other side mm-hmm. and really experience that lifestyle. So to have Alice do that um, at the women's... wasn't the women's caucus at that point... The let's say rally for the sake of rally, but mm-hmm. that that conference thing that was on the wasn't it the caucus? The caucus is the name of the group of women who conference are, conference it might have mm. been. We'll go with conference anyway. To have Alice just in that and just to absorb what mm. that was, and as someone who has never been to that but has been to uh, seminars and been to conferences and stuff, weekend seminars and what they're like, and has been to week long festivals and things. Really similar vibes. That like, energy. That mm. energy that was going on, the way that people have these talks going on and the the music and the food and all of it. I was like, oh, I understand what this experience is like. And I understood so well what mm. Alice was going through in there because that wasn't always my world either. And it's it can be scary and confronting if you're not used to it. Mm. But once you're in it, it's kind of intoxicating and yeah. fun and like... It was so well illustrated, I thought. Yeah. And I also, yeah, having her have both like to start drinking and then to have what I assume is a, a Valium or mm. something like that and then to get high, mm. I think is a perfect way to do that when like- I've literally been in that experience before. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I was like, I remember this. Yeah, your walls are down yeah. and you're just kind of floating from room to room and just absorbing- the, the people's energy around you as opposed to just having her walk around and having like a sincere, like a really sincere, beautiful conversation with someone. And just allowing the, the cynicism her. that's been built yeah. into her for all of this to just come down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. Like, I yeah, I loved, you know, that first conversation she was having at the bar with that, you know, lovely Christian woman yep. who shared pretty much all of her values but just happened to be on the other side of politics and then her experience with um melanie linsky's character who was so awful to her and had like not an ounce of kindness to give to her at all during that entire time in houston um and then yeah to finally end up in the gay lounge where she invents a new way to eat (laughs) that was one of my favorite lines (laughs) and she stands up and sings that song and it, it was 
just quite joyous at that moment. Yeah. Definitely. I think my favorite moment of all of that stuff with Alice, though, was when she goes back to the room and Gloria is there and the spin mm. is built up about what she's going to say to Gloria. And then just to watch them work and like where how they it, function and yeah. how they function and just mm. sit, brushing her hair and watching it and laughing and- at their joke and totally <laughs> yeah it was yeah. so so lovely and you just yeah. felt for alice so much and that yeah, was well, she's been you know emotionally isolated mm. from like not only people around her but from herself like you can't express who you really are in a if you're constantly surrounded by people who only give you rules to abide by. Like, that's a terrifying position to be in. And finally, she, she, yeah, sees the other side, which is nice. I think just something we were talking about before we even started recording today, Sarah Paulson as a performer was so mm. fantastic um, in this role. And it's we've now done a couple of shows with Sarah Paulson. We did the American Crime Story one mm-hmm. about O.J. Simpson, OJ Simpson. Yeah. where she plays a completely different yeah. sort of character in that. And I've just come to realise, I mean, I always knew she was a fantastic actress, but the versatility, the variety in what she can do yeah. is incredible. She's amazing yeah. in this. I mean, yeah, I've, like I said before we started recording, I think that's why she's become so popular through American Horror Story, I think. Yeah. So every season she plays... Some, someone completely different and she is amazing. I mean, I'm in love with Sarah Paulson, like just legitimately. And I love everything about her. I think she's the cutest person in the world. I think she's the most talented. And if she wanted to marry me, sure, I'd leave Angela. Look, it's out there. <laughs> it's recorded. <laughs> Literally out there now. <laughs> no, she only likes older women. So uh, it's fine. Oh, right. Okay. Sarah Paulson? Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a shame. You I can mean, age she's with up. Holland Taylor, so I get it. Um, I'm trying to think of other things to talk about here. How do you feel about the inclusion of people of colour in the show and how they were handled? Um, it sometimes, like, there was this discussion of the idea of white feminism, something which is talked about quite a lot mm. current day as well. Mm-hmm. And there is this feeling that generally it was very white dominant, even with inside the Women's Caucus. Um, yes. There was what the discussion of tokenism at... Ms. Magazine oh, as well. I love that scene where she's like, oh, you know, let, I would love to do an article on tokenism. And they're like, you don't feel like that, do you? And she's like, no, 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 no. And then Gloria Stein says, if you feel that way, you should let me know. Yeah. To which I said to the TV, she just did, Gloria. <laughs> like, that was the way that she could do that in a safe way. Um, but another example of where the show is willing to go, look at Gloria Steinem or, or the white, this feminist movement, which is white dominant, and go, this maybe wasn't as great as it could have been. This yeah. was a flaw yeah. of what's going on here. And I also think it's in the way that the show has structured itself as well. Like we have the episode of Shirley, yes. which I think doesn't, you know, intersect the way that a lot of the other episodes do with Agreed. one another. In, just in general, like... Uh, it does feel separated and I I think that's purposeful. So, the the question there I was having as I was watching it, and this is, this is literally just me talking hypotheticals here, mm. is like, is that a challenge of tr- because there just wasn't enough people of colour inside the movement, they had to try and find a story because they themselves wanted to make sure that was included? Mm-hmm. And there are a number of... Um, black women in this show. Well, there's a few side characters. That there I are. Was like, well, who's that? Well, who's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so there, there is this. They couldn't have ten episodes. So we had another <laughs> woman of color. Well, this, yeah, and again, and it is becomes a question of tokenism even within the show. Is surely mm. a token episode? She doesn't mm. have a lot to do. You know, she gets a nod here and there. Is involved in the conversation here and there, but doesn't seem to be driving yeah. force of the story after episode three. Um, 
do we do have like a couple of times we go to black feminist meetings and stuff like mm. that aunt flow i want to say was the character it was like flow maybe not aunt flow flow was I the so, woman's yeah. name yeah. they were talking about how she has these meetings and there's even discussions with them about the different black experiences and stuff like that so there's stuff in there mm. and it's like is that enough could they have done more is that realistically all you could say, because unfortunately the people, just the nature of history was that the big players were all white women, mm-hmm. you know, is that, I, I don't know whether it's a flaw, whether it's just a reflection of the time. Yeah, whether if it's, that is like what was happening, which I believe that is what was happening is that sure. white women predominantly were running the movement, not really mm-hmm. making space for women of colour. Um, to tell that story means that women of colour, their stories are on the fringes. Yep. If you're talking about this specific moment in time specifically about the era um yeah i i i'm not sure yeah they it's it's they definitely at least recognize and comment directly on it yes which is not nothing it's not everything either that's not necessarily enough and i'm not mm. i'm never going to suggest they've done a but i'm bad glad job that here. they like even with a figure that is so kind of deified is that the right word sure yeah um as gloria steinem is that she is in that scene. Definitely. I think that's important to do. It's like Gloria Steinem's great, but famously perfect. like, you know, Ms. Magazine, the the different women's groups that she was in and running, they were not spaces where women of colour had huge positions of power. Maybe we should talk about Shirley Chisholm though. I found her episode powerful in and of itself. I think what I really enjoyed was at the end of that episode when she stands up, it's like the Democratic Party thingy and she's like holding hands with the the actual nominee. Yeah, Yeah. that was. And all the white women stand up in like triumph, like clapping like, yes, oh my God, you've done it. Like this is a really powerful moment. And you see on her face just like (sighs) the resignation but also, like, she's fucking had enough of being a symbol. Yes. Pretty much. Like, she's kind of like, all right, this is a moment, sure, but fuck this. That was that was one of my favourite things, themes in general of the entire show was this idea of symbolic mo- mm. movements or symbolic power or symbolic change versus actual real yeah. change. Um, and, yeah, the Shirley episode definitely symbolised that in a lot of ways. And... I, it was so easy to admire her totally against the odds, but, you know, be, tr- well, at least trying to have some influence or believing that why why couldn't there be yeah. a black woman as president? Yeah, this, this whole um, kind of mindset of, well, it's, it's too risky, so don't try it. Let's just incrementally, slowly step mm-hmm. towards change. Which is fucking bullshit because as you watch this show, you're like, well, not a whole lot has fucking changed because- That's the ultimate tragedy of the end credits. It's like, yeah. still fucking trying it's to like, ratify the ERA. People are always like, oh, that's too much. People can't handle that. So that by the you know the end of it, nothing's fucking happened because people who are in charge of making those decisions are always too afraid to actually make a fucking decision that means anything. Um, so that episode was infuriating to watch. Being like, and seeing all these, you know, radicals around her, these white radicals around her, being like fucking afraid to actually do something that might 
you know, compromise their power that they had gained. Yeah, it was infuriating, but also like important to acknowledge. Have you seen Uzo Aduba in anything outside of Orange and the New Black? I don't think so. Because I think this is the first thing I've seen her in as well. Yeah. Um, how do you think she was? She's great. Mm. I think, She's I mean, I was great. not shocked. I think, you know, she was amazing in Orange and the New Black. So I wasn't yeah, surprised that she absolutely nailed it this time around. Um, I think the other character on a very, very different scale, but that that sort of had their own episode, but also didn't really seem to co- like cohesively fit into the rest of the story, mm. was Elizabeth Banks' character of Jill as well, who's mm-hmm. sort of like the Republican member of the mm. Women's Caucus, mm-hmm. um, who was definitely... She was like on the fringe bouncing around and jumping yeah, in when she needed to. Needed basically, to. Yeah. yeah. And... Obviously, yeah, being on the conservative side, but also pro-RA, the problems that came with that. She's someone who knew, really did know how to work the system. She'd gone a long way, apparently, like, just doing the dirty work. Like, acknowledging mm-hmm. the shit. Something else I loved about the show, actually, as well, was especially very early on, the attention paid to the amount of touching that men mm-hmm. do of women all the time. Yeah. had times that so people gross. touch Phyllis and, like, mm-hmm. and Jill and other characters and stuff like that all the freaking time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a. I really enjoyed her character. I think that's a very important perspective mm. to have on that as well. You know, even women on the other side of the aisle can be mm. pro ERA. This is not a radical idea, realistically, yeah. even if radical maybe was the term being thrown around. But yeah, it, she kind of just popped in and out of the cameo here and there where they needed her. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed the Jill episode, mostly because it gave me an insight into what was happening within the Republican Party that. I didn't understand. And I've found that quite a bit recently. I was listening to a podcast, I think it's called Slow Burn, um, about the election of David Duke in New Orleans. Oh. Um, the, yeah, the KKK guy. Yeah. Um, and he originally ran as a, a Democrat and then that didn't work, so he ran as a Republican. And just how, like, not so black and white it really was for a very long time in terms of um, – party ideals and so now we think of particularly you know you and i who like are totally looking from outside in we see republicans as you know phyllis schlafly's yeah we see them as like these kind of evangelical like hyper christian super conservative Mm. fucking homophobic racist all that shit that's how we view them um and that's how often they've been portrayed uh so to see a a a person um or in in this show a character like jill who was you know like a a centrist a very like rational person who believed in her party like she's like you know it's the party of lincoln and like we have standards and ideals and all this all these things that we believe in that aren't attached to um this yeah conservative christianity like i'm i'm not sure if she was a christian or not or i would assume so religious beliefs were but like she believed in like the great dream that was America and mm-hmm. she believed that her party represented that and to see her party infiltrated <laughs> by people who were fundamentalists. Um, yeah, it, w- it was interesting, also very upsetting, yeah. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes to ask? Um, just like a couple of quotes. Um, I think it's in episode two. It's like an aide says to Phyllis, which I think is very, um, really speaks to the moment in American politics in which she says, 
When you go on Donahue, do you know what you're saying has no basis in fact or do you just not know what the hell you're talking about? <laughs> Which was, I thought, beautiful. Um, yeah, the cite the case yes. was such a fuck yeah moment. Like mm. it was so satisfying to watch. Um, oh, when Jill says to Phil, they're having like a really interesting conversation at the bar, like two Republican women. This is a great line. It was in mine too. And she's like, you want to get ahead by climbing on the shoulders of men, Phyllis? Fine. Just know they're looking right up your skirt, which was mwah. <laughs> and then also the moment where Bella is talking to the like the stop ERA ladies and she you know lists all these things that phyllis has taught them to do and she's like you're working girls yeah i really like and just calling out that you know she is a feminist she doesn't realize it she doesn't know she's like the most liberated woman in america i think she says absolutely uh some moments i loved uh the little ruth beta ginsburg Mm, uh cameo essentially (laughs) just like ruth i was like (gasps) that's fine i know you (laughs) exactly it's like i get that reference um it's not really a moment, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about how the show deals with like LGBT mm-hmm. people and mm-hmm. how difficult it was for those in the movement to balance, you know, women's rights and queer rights or gay rights um, or lesbian rights, whatever they were calling them at the time. And how I think I can't remember Ari Grainer's character, but when she's talking to Gloria about, you know, she's had this little fling, this affair. She's a bit confused and just being like, well, what are you going to do? Like sit at a press conference with me and just say, oh, we're all lesbians or whatever. Like, it, you know, it was complicated to – it's this whole thing of, you know, don't be too extreme for people. And like being gay was too extreme, so I just put it to the side. And, you know, mm. being black and empowered was too extreme, put that to the side. So, yeah, I, I just thought it, it was – like sprinkling that throughout was important, like they did, I guess, with the people of colour in the story. Mm. Just to go back, because we keep talking about this moment of on the, the TV interview, you know, cite the case bit. Mm. I also loved was the fallout from that, right? The argument between Phyllis and Fred, mm. the moment of regret in Phyllis's face, the self-slap she gives yeah. herself as well. Um, and the moment actually before all of that, when she asked Fred to come on, she said, thank you, daddy, which I thought was a really interesting choice of line Anderson as well. And I looked at each other and we're like, gross. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, some lines that I loved. Actually, this is one from Shirley. I'm not going to roll over every time a man presses too hard. I think it's like, she continues on. It's like, cause they'll just keep pressing. And I'll keep rolling over. Mm-hmm. So that was a really, really great line as well. Yeah. The, I discovered a better way to eat. And <laughs> just the idea that like the trend, this is something Liam pointed out cause he was watching a lot of it with me. The, they sort of transitioned her from scene to scene was almost always based off food once she was high. <laughs> yeah, she was just it was following. just like yeah, just yeah. following wherever there was it's food. It's like that cartoon of like there's a pie on the window yeah. and this like the steam the is like a finger that's like luring you. Yeah. <laughs> that was really good. I had quite a couple of questions for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the opening titles? I loved it. It actually reminded me a bit of the opening titles for First Wives Club, which I love. Of the TV show, The First Wives Club, because there was no, a TV no, show now, the movie. The film. Gotcha. I mean, the film is like, it's a bit more pop art, whereas this art is obviously very kind of 70s, kind yeah. of like the orange and the, the reds and stuff. But it just had that kind of vibe to me. What I, did you think? I didn't necessarily love it at first. I just enjoyed the I, song too. The song is mm. great. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. it was, it gave it a really good energy to just sort of like bop along to into the show almost as mm. it went. Um, 
Uh, I it got me excited for every episode. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, let's learn about feminism. I yeah. did, sure. Yeah, that's actually, and it kind of actually, that's where it really fulfills that role, isn't it? It's just sort of like, here's a little like diorama of like, not diorama, like a mural of like fen- feminism during the time. Mm-hmm. And it like, it worked in that way. I thought, I thought it was a little like, I wanted to be a little slicker or something, I guess. But overall, I thought the effect was good. I, I enjoyed it more the more I watched it. But I was always most interested in what you think of opening titles because you hate the idea of like following the thing being made or whatever yeah. it is. And it at least this one was a bit, a little different. bit different. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Something that I never quite got my head around was what was happening, and I just missed something when Phyllis was like ill, when she was like sweating. Oh, and, like, menopause. Is that what is that what it was? Yeah, it was that's just what it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, that seemed like the obvious thing, um, but I wasn't sure. Why? No, no, no. I wasn't sure what they were trying to say with that moment. It felt like a bit of a throwaway thing. Yeah, no. I, she was going through menopause. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I was, I was <laughs> thinking I was missing something. She wasn't being slowly poisoned by no, I wasn't thinking Betty that. Friedan, though that would be amazing <laughs> if no, she was. I was trying to figure out, was she having like, mo- was this a stress like thing? Anxiety. Was this a moment of anxiety for her or something like that? Because things were changing a little bit at the time. Anyway, okay. Well, she was going through the change. She was going through the change. Um. Okay, a bit that really did bug me, though. Oh, no. And I don't remember the character's name, but the, you know the friend, like the aunt who's never been married? Oh, yeah. And then the bit at the end where, like, she just, they they have, like, the bomb threat and then she's out on the street and she meets that guy. Mm. It's like a really weird way to, like, she tie up that man. character. Yes, that was my problem. I was like... But you- also, in the world that Phyllis helped sustain, she does need a man to get out of that fucking house. How else is she gonna escape Phyllis? No, oh, so that was the that was the that was her go. out. She I was, was like, oh, thank she God, was she able will to escape leave Phyllis. Phyllis. Now. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. I kind of just looked at it as like, oh, what's this character about? Now if- she's got a boyfriend. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, kind no, of. No, I think it, it meant she could leave. Yeah. What did you think about the de aging on Rose Byrne when they had the flashback to when she was Didn't having the abortion? Was with you. Oh, very interesting. Mm. It was like nine. I mean, Rose Byrne doesn't really need a whole lot of de-aging. Her Agreed. face is perfect. Agreed. Yeah. The, I think it was 95% there. It just had a little bit of light mm. being overlit or it was like kind of floating on her, on her face, kind of floating on her head right. a little bit. But I was like, oh, it's interesting to see that being used, that technology being used even in TV now because it was in something else we watched as well recently. Um I will never, ever, ever, this is my final thought, never, ever, ever understand the concept, how this happens, of overbooking. You know when they go to Houston <laughs> and they're like, yeah, there's only 200 rooms and 400, 400 people booked. It's like, well, don't they do that the on- fuck's fault was that? American <laughs> planes all the time. Yes. It's something they do. And yes. so you can just go to the airport and then you don't have a seat, which makes no sense to me. It bl- I do not understand how <laughs> like, that is a thing. Are many people like cancelling or missing flights? I guess, is that what it's for? I guess so. I guess so too. So they have a certain percentage threshold. But then do but you, how like, do you just build up- a huge like contingent of customers who fucking hate you and resent you because they always arrive and they never get a fucking seat for something they paid for? How can you sell something that you don't have? Yeah. That seems unethical and maybe illegal. That's the bit that I can't get over. Yeah. The ethics of it is so lost on me. I can understand. The, I wonder if they think of it also as a way of like guaranteeing that people get there on time. It's like, well, if you come too late, there might not be a seat. Might not even well, be there. Well, that's insane. It's yeah. like Hunger Games. What the fuck? <laughs> it is insane. America is Hunger Games. <laughs> At this point, it's not far off. Least favorite and favorite episode. What was your least favorite episode, Damask? Um, I didn't really have... A least favorite. It was tough one. Um, so I was thinking 
maybe Jill, but then I also just found that kind of really educational and fascinating. How do you think of Elizabeth Banks? We didn't really talk about her. As she was well. great. I thought she uh, did what she was meant to do for that character. Sure. I don't think there was a whole lot of character there or big bam moments. Yeah. Um, Except yeah. for the look up your skirt bit. Yeah, which was, I think she did that really well. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I was like, oh, maybe Shirley, because it didn't, like I said, intersect a lot with the others. But then I was like, well, that's probably the point. So, like, probably not that one. And I did actually enjoy it. So, in terms of least favorite, maybe the last episode, because I was like, what a bummer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think that one, yeah. Uh, I actually have gone with the last episode, episode mm-hmm. nine, Reagan. Um, I, he's got to do with some of the heavy-handed choices that were made. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't sure about the bit with the aunt friend character finding that man outside the hotel. The really gratuitous camera work that was being done on the laughing faces of that Republican event. Just, mm-hmm. just I don't know, whatever it was. Um yeah, and then that was the other bit. I just remember the other bit that was on the nose. When Gloria puts on Betty Bella's hat and then, like, walks out. After Bella is resigned, uh, she yeah. goes to the hat and walks out. I was like, okay, guys, like, that's beyond <laughs> symbolic as to be just ridiculous. <laughs> that was – I kept trying to think of what it was. Yeah, that moment I was just mm. like – it just had been good at sort of integrating that stuff a little bit more organically. Even the bit – and I enjoyed it for what it was – of Alice literally driving away – Mm. was well executed mm-hmm. and I felt it and enjoyed it, but boy, was it on the nose. <laughs> right. Fair enough. <laughs> that, that's that's literally my reasoning. Yeah. Uh, Favourite episode? Definitely episode eight, Houston. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. I oh. mean, that was the, I think the big moment for the season was that kind of, yeah, the two worlds collide. We yep. have a character that isn't on the good side, but is sympathetic, if not empathetic. Um and she has a beautiful realization. She has, you know, hard moments with those that she thought she could trust. She has, um, she meets Gloria Steinem, this great big figure. Mm-hmm. She hangs out with a bunch of lezzies and has a great old time and eats some food. And then also we have the character, the other housewife, who's being abused by her husband. Yeah. Um, her, you know, having that moment of like yelling at her, being like, you know, you're so pathetic. Like, why can't you look after yourself? Which is, you know, how she probably feels about herself, how Phyllis feels about all women is that kind of anger um, and realizing that she, what she's learned from women around her is like to lead with kindness is really important and the way forward. And I thought it was a great episode. I agree 100%. My favorite episode was episode eight, Houston. I think just Alice as a character was beautifully built up to mm-hmm. be this illustration of like the poison of Phyllis, you know, of, of this these of living in betrayed fear. women mm-hmm. by women who were betrayed by Phyllis who were used and and lived in fear and abused really. Mm. Um Sarah Paulson was amazing in that role. I think also one of the things that just makes it something that stands out is it's one of the only times it's really felt like a moment in time. Does it make sense? Like so many other episodes took place over days or yes. weeks or thing. And so we to have, have little segments sewed together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which tell a story but mm-hmm. ultimately feel a little disjointed. There's not mm-hmm. flow always happening yeah. there. And so this is one of those episodes where they arrive in Houston, they, mm. they literally drive to you Houston. You can be present with the people within totally. the story. And yeah. so it help it's it's funny how much that makes you just connect with what is a fictional character but really connect with them and just it sells the concept of what they're trying to do with Alice Mm -hmm. flawlessly. I just thought it was so good and fun and 
Everything about it was brilliant. Um, do we have any predictions, hopes, concerns? So this is the question, right? Normally we go, what will season two be like? Is there going to be a season two? Could there be a season two? Should there, there be a season two? There's plenty of stories along the way of feminism. There's been many iterations of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you could, you know, do something that isn't even about feminism. You know, could be have like the same creative team. Definitely. Um, could be about civil rights. Um, well, I'm fascinated about the Black Panthers. I'd love to know like that moment in the movement. That'd be fucking interesting. Oh, okay. So you're suggesting this isn't so much like a Mrs. America 2. This is more like a... Political moments in America. Sure. So this is like an American crime story. It was American like an American pol- 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 political story. Yep. But by this creative team... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see that. That could be yeah, really, really interesting. Like that, maybe. Um, I do wonder whether there are stories about women or specific women or groups of women in America that you could do more Mrs. America specifically. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be so overtly. Like, obviously, it would be a feminist story just by the nature of it, but it doesn't have to be so overtly. Just do like Mrs. Femi- America about Angela Davis. I'd fucking watch the shit out of that. Yeah, there's a there's a yeah. you could do one. You could do I don't know. You could do something about like. You could do like just little stories and vignettes about important women in politics if you wanted to, like mm. Hillary Clinton if you wanted to, or like even like um, not Sarah Paulson. What was her name? The Palin. Sarah Palin. Would I Good think Lord. that? No, I honestly think there could be a really interesting story about that, like how that woman ends up being the running mate for McCain. Who was it at the time? Or yeah, McCain. Um, and like the story of how you get to that moment. I think there's already mm. been actually there's already been a movie, hasn't there? Yeah. With um, Julianne Moore. Yes, Julianne um, Moore. Yes, I th- I, I like would prefer that. something that is more of like a history lesson, but also a rallying cry. I feel like a Sarah Palin one would be like. I think that'd be an episode. This is so fucking in like a series right, gotcha. of. It wouldn't just be a whole series about <laughs> Sarah Palin. No, 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 no. Right. That'd be like an episode about that, and mm-hmm. you can just talk about like important or influential women in, in politics in general. We could do. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg as well, or I don't know. Like you could talk about all those sorts of stories, mm. um, something like that. I if they did an our second season that was whatever, I'd, I'd, I'd sign up for sure. Yeah. I'm definitely, definitely in. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, a.k.a. at Shawnee Boy Draws, and our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Hile of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter at Maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Well, well I done. almost fell over at the end there. <laughs> Next episode, we'll be back to discuss Black Sails Season 1. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. And so, And it's not like you have to type in your own Twitter name or anything like that. It's just... It's like your own phone number. There's something about it that... Saying... M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. on and then at is very confusing to me. So on Twitter, at Maskimo confuses my brain. And then you just short circuit. And then I start thinking about it and I'm like... Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 